Looks like someone kicked a wire and unplugged it. Those two work. Yeah. Keep your feet to yourself. <laughs> we have more problems than that, right? These issues, two issues, are more subtle for us because they're cultural norms. I was reading an article in the Gospel Coalition website entitled, Four Big Challenges Facing the Church in the West Today. That's the American church. Four big challenges. And as I read those four challenges, I was shocked to read that two of the challenges, two of the four, 50% of our problems can be fixed with today's topic. Two of these big challenges. The first challenge is this. We live in a society, a culture that is enthralled with expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. Yuval Levin wrote a book called The Fractured Republic, and I want to share this quote with you that he has to kind of explain what this is. It says, expressive individualism is this, a desire to pursue one's own path. Sounds very American, doesn't it? A yearning for fulfillment through the definition and articulation of one's own identity. It's all about me, baby. It is a drive both to be more like whatever you already are and also to live in society by fully asserting who you are. It's all about me and you need to make it all about me. That's what he's saying. The capacity of individuals to define the terms of their own existence by defining their personal identities is increasingly equated with liberty and with the meaning of some other basic right. And it is given pride of place in our self-understanding. Basically, he's saying our favorite slogans are be you and be true to you. Be you and be true to yourself. This is the American culture. This is the American way. The liberties that we have have forced us into this expressive individualism where it just becomes about me and my fulfillment. We're losing any sense of community in our culture. Expressive individualism is a challenge for the church today. Because it was founded upon community. The church today struggles with this idea of expressive individualism because God's word challenges the me with the us. The us is under God's authority. And we don't like that either. That messes with my liberty and my expressive individualism. We don't like authority in our life. We resist anything that might stifle our self-defined freedoms. This is a challenge for us, church. When we fall into this pattern of living in from our culture, because everything about the gospel, everything about the Bible, calls us from the me to the us. 
It calls us to put ourselves last and others first. The chief aim of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But expressive individualism turns that around and says the chief end of religion is to glorify man so he can enjoy himself forever. And as a pastor, I see this all the time. When we make church about me, about my expressions, my feelings, what I want, and not what the community needs. The second challenge that he said in this article that really relates to us today is people are increasingly more isolated, fragmented, and polarized. Oh, turn the news on, baby. Have you ever seen a culture so polarized than the American culture right now? We are experiencing this huge decline in trust of our institutions. These institutions that brought us together, these institutions that helped us find unity and harmony, these institutions that gave us a mission that we all worked toward, these institutions and where you had to lay yourself down to be a part of something bigger than yourself, we're losing these institutions in our life, and the church is one of them. We have more choices. When I was in India, you don't get a lot of choices. And James, who lives in India, laughs at me. He goes, you Americans, you have too many choices. It's either mutton or chicken. When we, lo- when we have more and more and more choices, here's what's happened. Solidarity decreases. What do you mean by that, solidarity? It means we no longer stand in unity with one another. When I'm not happy with you, that's okay. I'll just go to the church down the street. When I don't like this company, I've got a hundred other choices. When I don't like this group, I've got a hundred other choices. Solidarity is decreasing which means we no longer stand in unity or harmony with one another. Meaning, if it isn't working for me, I'll just make another choice. And what this does is it disorients us, and it fragments us, and all of these associations are falling away, the gatherings and the groups are disappearing, and we are becoming individuals who live in our homes and expect the world to run how I want it. And it's the fragmentation and the isolation that creates this polarization. And so now you have all these people who are no longer coming together and working out their differences and finding unity and harmony, but instead we're going to our polar opposites and we're standing there and we're demanding that things be the way we want them. And here's the temptation for the church in that, is that churches then are tempted to create churches where everyone merely seeks mutual fulfillment. Too many people go to church because it helps them self-actualize. People aren't looking for church because it's a place that we can find unity and glorify God in community. People aren't going to church because it makes them good or because uh, they learn how to be better neighbors 
They go so they can be self-actualized and they can learn about themselves and just be better me's instead of us. We go to church like we go everywhere else to be affirmed. And that is the American culture. We have just created a large group of people and all we want is just to be fulfilled, to be affirmed. The way we overcome these challenges, the way we overcome these issues in our life, in the Western church, is to create and call people, you, me, our neighbors, to embrace a Jesus-centered community where the other is more important than me. Where our communities become priority, not my self-affirmant, not my just simply being affirmed. Real Jesus community is the only answer to overcome the challenges that we face as a people, to overcome the challenges that we face as families, in our communities, and in our churches. There's a very old text in Ecclesiastes that really speaks to this. And it says this, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. That is wise words to live your life by. First, I need you to understand this. You cannot be fully you without Jesus-centered community. We cannot become fully who we're expected to be, fully who God's called us to be, without others. You and Jesus may have figured it all out. You and Jesus may have got alone and figured this whole thing about life out. But the truth is, without community, you cannot know holiness. Because holiness, which is what we're called to, is, finds its expression in community. How do you know you need to work on something? How do you know that you're not being loving? How do you know that you're not into, uh, have the heart of God if you're not interacting with others? You and Jesus may have figured it all out, but community is where holiness finds its truest expression. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote a little book called Life Together, if you ever want to read a book about community and just blow your mind away, this is a great little book. I had to read it twice. I don't know why in my master's program, but two different professors, and they both thought it was a good book, so I had to read it twice. Bonhoeffer in this little book says this, Let him who cannot be alone be aware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. That sounds a lot like our culture. Everyone is screaming at one another with words and feelings. But there's no community. And that's our detriment. 
Bonhoeffer saw it 70 years ago. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into void words and feelings. And the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes into the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. God's growth plan for us is a balance of community and solitude. We need both. Without solitude, community becomes hollow. And without community, solitude just turns into isolation and pride and arrogance. Jesus challenged the religion of his day by saying this, Matthew, 20, Matthew 22. He says, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with your whole heart, all your soul and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then Jesus just blows the religious people out of the water with this statement. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, when you first read over that, you say, okay, solitude is in the first statement. I can love God with my whole heart, my whole soul, and all my mind, and not like you. And that's what they were good at. Their religion was this vertical thing that they did, where they went and they offered sacrifices, they prayed, they read the Scripture, they did all the law, they did everything they needed to please God, but they hated one another. And to them, in their minds, this solitude, this solitude in their religion was all they needed. And Jesus comes onto the scene. He says, no, here's a second command that's equally as important. Now, for a Jew to tell them that another command is equally important than this one that came out of Deuteronomy was heresy. And Jesus steps onto the scene and he says, look, here's religion. I'm going to do this. Are you ready? Here's religion. He flipped it on its side. He took this vertical thing that they were doing and he flipped it on his side. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot be right with God if you are not right with your neighbor. That is a crazy thing to say to these Jews in that day. But this is Jesus. And he's the son of God. And he can do whatever he wants. And he says, look, you got it all wrong. Yeah, solitude is important, but so is community. They're equal. You can't have one without the other. There are 59 verses in the New Testament that start with one another. We call them the one another verses. Years ago, I was a teenager, 12, 13, 14 years old, in a town in Indiana, southern Indiana. My father was the pastor of this little church. I can remember as a teenager this two little old ladies in the church who sat over here. And they sat near one another, but not too close because they really didn't like each other. And every week, almost every week, the testimony from one was the same. I've read my Bible 15 times. I've never missed a revival. 
I've never missed church unless I was really sick. It's all about her religious activity. I can remember being in revivals and she was the first one to get blessed and she'd run around waving her white hanky. Woo, praise the Lord. And I also saw as a 12, 13 year old, these two women absolutely hate each other and get into fights in the back of the church after service over silly little things. Now you tell me. You think God cares how many times she reads her Bible? Or goes to church? Or prays? Or gets blessed and runs the aisle waving her hanky? When her heart was not right toward her neighbor? Do you see what Jesus did? And that's what we have to do. But you can't do it without community. You can't do it without connectedness. You can be fully, you cannot be fully you without community. But community is hard, isn't it? Especially for us introverts. That's me. Community's hard. I like to tell people that I look at people like um, Legos. When I was a kid, we played Legos and built Legos, and even, well, I've done it as an adult too. But, you know, you play with Legos and you build these cool things, and they come in all different shapes and sizes. But you know how Legos are? You, you know the one piece that has like the four the little squares? It's got four connectors. Then you've got the bigger one. It's got like six or eight connectors on it. These little connectors that you connect them with, you know. And then you go to build like this, this spread of Legos, and they give you these big sheets of Legos, and they're like green, and they're supposed to be grass, and they got like 50,000 connectors on it, right? My wife's the 50,000 connector one, all right? She's just an extrovert. And she loves people, and she can just have so many different connections. And I got like four. You know, when, when I get like more connect, when I get more than four people needing me at one time, I just like, ah, oh, you know. And uh, <coughs> that's how I see that. But we all, introverts and extroverts, need to learn how to do healthy community. But community is uncomfortable, and we resist it. I think there's a couple key reasons why we resist it. Some of it's personality, but we can overcome those things. I think one of the reasons we're uncomfortable with community is because it requires us to be transparent. Community stretches us. It confronts us. It pushes us to live more Jesus-centered lives. And nobody, nobody wants something, somebody in our business. And when we are transparent, or the more we lean into community, the more we lean into others in a Jesus-centered environment, people begin to know us. And that scares us to death. They see us. And that frightens us. You can't hold up very many defense mechanisms the more you get to know someone. The more you get to know someone, the more they know about you. And so we don't like being transparent because we're afraid of what people might know. Maybe they won't accept us. Maybe they won't love us. Maybe they won't 
forgive us. I mean, do we really want to be known? I mean, really? So we defend by keeping people at a distance. And the closer we get, the more they might see. So transparency is an issue. I think another reason we're uncomfortable with community is because it requires accountability. Expressive individualism makes us not want people in our business. When we're accountable to someone, it's as though they have some sort of authority to speak into our life. To say, hey man, you know, maybe you need to change how you talk to your wife. Maybe you need to change what you're doing here. Maybe you shouldn't go there anymore. Maybe, you, you know, that happens in accountability. Or someone just simply asks, hey, what have you been doing this week? With your time. Hey, I know your wife was gone for three days. What'd you do? That's accountability. And we resist that because we just don't want people in our business. We don't like to be under anyone's authority or even feel like it. This is why we resist community because of accountability. But accountability is the lifeline. For those of us that drift. And I'm just going to be honest with you. We all drift. We all drift into areas. Maybe not deep-seated sin, but we all drift into laziness or we drift into things that are weaknesses in our life. And there's this drift in life. And when we hold, put ourselves into a Jesus-centered, accountable community and we give people a, a permission to speak into our life, We give them permission to confront us. We build safeguards into our life. Accountability is actually life-giving. It saves us. And those safeguards are assurances that when we drift, we're not going to drift too far. This means we must be in this Jesus-centered This means that this Jesus-centered community cannot be judgmental. We must be a people that are not too critical, but grace-filled people, spiritual people who can pull alongside one another and speak into one another's life, encouraging one another, lifting one another up. Community is hard, and it takes openness for correction and a willingness to go out of our way to help others. But community is life-giving. So what does Jesus-centered community look like? How do we do this? How, what is this, you know, are we just going to get around, sing Kumbaya? What, what do we do here? How do we do this? <coughs> well, Jesus-centered community takes many forms. And I want to just share just real quick three forms and how we, as Jesus people, do community. The first one is this, worship. We worship together. We come together and we gather. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20. And let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Paul, you know, the, the writer of Hebrews said, look, listen, 
Some people are stopping meeting together. Don't do it. It's important that you gather online sermons. And if you're online today, God bless. We want to provide this ministry and we want you to be able to be with us if you can't be here. And we know that sometimes you're just checking the church out and and seeing if the guy standing here can can put two words together, right? And all of this, seeing if the music's good or whatever. We understand that. But that is not a substitute for community. Real life, hands-on interaction with others. Corporate worship, listen to this, corporate worship is the dress rehearsal for the big show. Corporate worship is the dress rehearsal for the big show. (laughs) I can't stress that enough. Sometimes we come in here and think, oh, it's another Sunday and we stand and we sing. But look, this is us preparing for what's about to happen when we all get to heaven. Worshiping with others in a Jesus-centered community. Each person comes here different. Each person may be from a different race, different socioeconomic status, different experiences in life, different stories in life, but we have one thing in common. We have all been washed by the blood of the Lamb, and we stand and we worship God together. And that builds community. To do that together. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 7. John says, after all of this, I saw a great, a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne. And before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. That's the big show. And this is a dress rehearsal. We build community when people from all different walks of life come together in unity and in harmony to stand before God and praise Him for all that He has done. So we are a worshiping community. But a Jesus-centered community is also a confessional community. Part of community means to confess. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Listen, we confess our sins and our shortcomings and our infirmities to God for forgiveness. But we confess all of that to each other for healing. For healing. In his book, Life Together, he has a whole chapter on confession. And he talks about the importance for us to confess our shortcomings, our sins, uh, all of that to one another. Why? For forgiveness? No, God forgives us. I can pray alone to God and ask Him to forgive, but when I then turn to a brother and and confess my sins to a brother, the healing begins. There's something that happens between two people who love one another, understand one another, pray for one another. When you start to confess your sins to another person, this is how you overcome that sin. This is how you guarantee that you won't do that sin anymore because you begin to share with a brother and the healing begins. 
We should be a confessing community. It creates humility and encouragement amongst each other. It lets me and those I confess to know that we are in this together, that no one is perfect and we need one another and our God to overcome. But we should also be a celebrating community. 1 Samuel chapter 7. <clears throat> Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshana. He named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. For he said, now listen, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. We should be a worshiping community. We should be a confessing community. And we should also be a celebrating community. Why do we celebrate? Because things are going great in your life? They might not be, but you celebrate anyways. Because everything's perfect in your life? It's probably not, but you celebrate anyways. Because up to this point, look where the God has brought us. As a community, we look back at what God has done and we celebrate it. We don't get bogged down in the personal individualism of, oh, woe is me, look at my life, how bad things are. But no, we look up and know that God is on His throne. He has done great things to this point, And we have confidence that the future is bright for us, even in the midst of trouble. We celebrate because God is good. He's our God, and He's at the center of our community. These are very specific practices that God calls each of us to. They're Jesus-centered community disciplines. They're disciplines of our community that helps us grow stronger. They unify us. They bring us together. They straighten out paths where they might be crooked for people. And together, we live out God's mission in the world. So God uses community to strengthen and to grow us. When life gets hard, our natural tendency is to isolate ourselves. But fight it. If things are difficult for you, don't do it alone. Don't try to do life alone. As our scripture said, if you fall alone, it's not good for you. But if there's someone there who can help you through, that's God's plan. That's why he gave us the church. So that we could get through this life together. So that we could do this mission thing together. Somewhere, we got it all wrong in the Christian church. If you dressed a certain way, if you went to church a certain number of times, if you read your Bible enough, if you donated enough money, if you attended certain Bible studies, if you act like one and you talk like one and you quack like one, you must be one. But Jesus said, they will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. That's how you define Christian. That's how you define church. It's to love one another deeply. To do life together. 
This is what makes us different. This is what makes us Jesus community. The world is hungry for this. They're starving for it. And you got it. You can feed them with your community. We're going to take communion. We're going to come and lead us. This is another great community event.